say Leslie today, so and neither can you. So, <laughs> at any rate, I did my best, and here we are. Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to the Book of Acts once again. Your Bible should be starting to feel comfortable in opening there. It'll almost do it by itself, I'm sure. Uh, we begin our reading this morning in Acts chapter five. And uh, in verse 12, we'll read through the end of the chapter. Um, prior to our beginning in that, uh, those of you here that were here last week, there's a sense of purity that took place. There's something that happened that was, I'm going to tell you, very, very, very robust. It was amazing in the sense of the church was began, it's flourishing, the Holy Spirit has taken control. And all of a sudden, someone wanted to be something they weren't. And that's called hypocrisy, living a lie. And as we said last week, in every one of us, myself included, there's a little bit of hypocrisy. And some days there's a lot of hypocrisy. But at any rate, God cleaned up the act right out of the box. A man by the name of Ananias and his wife, Sapphira, were literally, their lives were taken. He, God purified the church. He was not going to allow uh, hypocrisy, lying to the Holy Spirit to take place. It didn't happen. And obviously there would have been a great fear. There was great grace. There was great something else I can't remember right now. Ah, uh, I'll get it. And, and it was that, it followed with great fear, obviously, right? I mean, think about that for a second. These were believers that literally in their hearts lied to the Holy Spirit. That's a big deal. As you can see, God took action. Well, this is the aftermath of that in verse 12, chapter 5. Let's read now together, beginning there. And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And of the resters, no man joined himself to them, but the people magnified them. And the believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes both of men and women. Insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets, laid them on beds and couches, that at the least the shadow of Peter passing by them overshadow some of them. There came also a multitude out of the cities round about into Jerusalem, bringing sick folks and them which were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed every one. Then the high priest rose up, and all they that were with him, which is the sect of Sadducees, and were filled with indignation, and laid their hands on the apostles, and put them in the common prison. But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors, and brought them forth, and said, Go, stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. When they heard that, they entered into the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest came, and they that were with him, and called the council together, and all the senate of the children of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came and found them not in the prison, they returned and told, saying, The prison truly found we shut with all safety, and the keepers standing without being before the doors. But when we had opened, we found no man within. Now when the high priest and the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these things, they doubted of them whereunto this would grow. Then came one and told them, saying, Behold, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then went the captain with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should have been stoned. But when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did, we, did not we straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses of these things, and so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. 
When they heard that, they were cut to the heart and took counsel to slay them. Then stood there up one in the council of Pharisee named Gamaliel, a doctor of the law, had in reputation among all the people, and commanded to put the apostles forth a little space, and said unto them, You men of Israel, take heed to yourselves that you intend to do as touching these men. But before these days rose up Thutis, boasting himself to be somebody, to whom a number of men, about four hundred, joined themselves, who was slain. And all, as many as obeyed him, were scattered and brought to naught. After this man rose up Judas of Galilee in the days of the taxing, and drew away much people after him. He also perished. And all, even as many as obeyed him, were dispersed. And now I say unto you, refrain from these men, and let them alone. For if this counsel or this work be of men, it will come to naught. But if it be of God, you cannot overthrow it lest haply you be found even to fight against God. To him they agreed, and when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house they ceased not to teach and to preach Jesus Christ. May God add a special blessing to reading of His Word, and let's just begin with prayer before our study. Father, we're here because You've allowed us to be here today on a beautiful day. We thank You for the opportunity to gather in this place and surround the Word of God now. We would ask, as we do that, that You would take us to a new height relationally that we've never been because of the power of the Word. We'd ask that the Holy Spirit would exclusively and singularly be our teacher of the Word. We thank you for those that have come out, and Father, you know them, you know their families, you know their situation, you know the challenges, you know the opportunities that literally they're facing. Father, you knew their need before they did. Father, that's the God that we lift up and worship. We'd ask that you would surround them with your love, with your care, giving them courage and wisdom for the days and the hours that are before. Father, these moments now are yours to do with us as you wish, as we yield to you yearning for the Word. Thank you for this passage we've read, and now as we have it in, taken and get in, Father, that you would be glorified and we would be blessed. These things we ask in Christ's precious and holy name. Amen. Well, this has been quite a journey, the beginning of the church. A lot of things have happened. Just thinking, I'm just thinking now, just overwhelmed by the sense of the period of time that the Old Testament saints would have been looking forward to. The coming of the Messiah. Prophets spoke of it. Literally, God in the Garden of Eden spoke of coming from the seed of the woman, coming from the line of Judah, coming from the Jewish people. And then Abraham would be, the, all of the world would be blessed through him. I mean, all of these things are pointing to a coming Redeemer, a coming Messiah. And then the space between the New Testament and the Old Testament is about 400 silent years. Now, how many of you have been around 400 years? None of us have they. In fact, in fact, 200 is a long time. 100 is a long time, right? Now think of that. God didn't speak to the Israelites for 400 years. Wow. I want God to be speaking to me. Like, I don't want four minutes to go by, right? Because he is my light. He is my rock. He is my fortress. He's all that I need to carry forward. I can't tell you how many times in the day. I need the every hour. I need the every minute of every hour, right? Think of that for a moment. And then Jesus came. The Messiah came. And Emmanuel was given to Joseph to name his son. Call him Emmanuel, God with us. And literally that came to a new level. It just happened now in the book of Acts. God with 
in us. That's what Jesus did. He's within us. The Holy Spirit came to indwell us that have trusted Christ as Savior. That is an amazing miracle in, its, in the very essence of it. It's just talking about it, let alone what's happening. Every one of you in this room and anyone that could hear my voice anywhere in the world and beyond, and it has nothing to do with my voice, if you have trusted Christ as Savior, you have been indwelt by the Holy Spirit. First, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. You're sealed with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I can't tell you how great a news that is. Now, if you don't have the Holy Spirit here today, that means you haven't trusted Christ. There's no shortcuts. You don't get to go find the Holy Spirit without Jesus. You must start by repenting of your sin, trusting Jesus Christ with who you are. Then the Holy Spirit becomes a very gift, in essence, a down payment, it said, a deposit. If you've bought a house or you've bought anything in the sense of property, when you've taken a look at that property maybe a couple of times, the first time it's maybe not sold, shall we say the second time, I got to have that. That seems like that's God's, and hopefully God's will for me. And to make sure that the people know you're serious, and if you have a broker involved, he's going to ask you for something. He's not only going to just ask for your signature, that's, that's good, but he wants a little more than that. He wants money, right? It's called a down payment. It's called literally an earnest. It's to prove that what you're saying is real. That money then is put in escrow. It's placed there and is no one's until the consummation of the sale, if you will. That's what takes place. Well, literally in Ephesians it says that you have received the down payment or the earnest of Jesus. I'm sorry, when you trust Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells you. And he doesn't leave. In the Old Testament, if you were a Saul and the Holy Spirit came upon you for a period of time until you stopped yielding to the Spirit, and one day the Spirit left. Ay, ay, ay. Right? That's how it was in the Old Testament. He could come and leave. New Testament, New Covenant, Jesus Christ died, paid all for, paid for all your sins. You're declared not guilty. Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. That's begun right here in this section in Acts. Brand new material. Isn't that fantastic? We're recipients because of that church. And by the way, it started here 2,000 years ago, 2,000 plus years ago. We're still here. This is just a building when you're not here. When the believers are here in this, it's called a church because you are the living body of Christ. Okay? Well, there's been a growth pattern. Pentecost, Peter preached. What did he preach about? Did he preach about the, the, the evils of sin? Did he, you know, he talked about Jesus, didn't he? He talked about, and he pointed fingers. Well, that's not popular today, right? Even speaking the truth is not popular today. Isn't that terrible? Not speaking the truth, not being popular. Truth should always be popular because it really fits reality. If we're not able to speak the truth, then we literally have nowhere to go but in a complete spiral out of control. That's what's happened to our nation. That's what happened to our country. Peter spoke the truth. He said, you crucified Jesus, the Messiah, the one that came to redeem you. You killed him. And it says that they were pricked in their heart. They were literally taken aback. What do we do? That's a great question. Isn't that a great question? What should we do? And he said, repent and literally be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, that was a big deal. Because Jesus Christ, just two months earlier, and two months plus or minus, that same Jesus had been crucified within yards of that temple. He was killed. He was dead. And of course, we know he rose again. He appeared to many. But this is the one that literally Peter is saying, you need to trust him. The one that was just killed in this temple. That's a serious confrontation, isn't it? And they did. 3,000 on that day were saved. That's the beginning of the church. Then we know that there was another opportunity. There was 
I can't hardly deal without the diagram on the board. Laramie, could you pop that up again? It's just so easy for me to point reference to. It's so fun for me to point to that, showing you where Jesus literally, I'm sorry, where the apostles were really preaching Jesus. And that particular day, at the beautiful gate, that little gate there, there was a man that was lying there, as he had been for many, many years. He was over 40 years old, it told us in chapter 4. And he, on that day, I'm, and the question's been roaming around our group, was, did Jesus actually see this, this lame beggar? I'm suspicious that he probably walked right by him or would have been part of that. And you're saying, well, why didn't he heal him? Because there was 5,000 people that needed to be saved as a result of the apostles healing that man. You see, God's timing is perfect. In fact, in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, it says, In the fullness of times, he, Jesus Christ, came to the earth. At just the right time, he came. This would have been just the right time for this event to take place. Because you talk about setting up a sermon illustration. I've got one today, but I don't know if it's going to work. Okay, so I'm still playing whether I should do it or not. You saw Lisa pass something off to me. And I tried it, and I, I'll talk about it in a moment. But at any rate, a sermon illustration is something that captures attention, doesn't it? And if you're going to show up, you're going to the temple, and here's this guy that's been there for who knows how long. He's in a great place. Everybody that's somebody that's religious, shall we say, I'm using that word carefully, would have walked right by this man and would have more than likely passed out some alms, some type of a help benefit monetarily to him. And he reached out for those two, Peter and John on that day, alms, alms. And Peter looked intently at him because I'm sure the Holy Spirit spoke with him. This today will change lives of many people. So he says, rise up in the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, how many times did he risen up? But zero. They, that guy was, he was lame from birth, it told us. All of a sudden, this guy jumps up, pops up. <laughs> I don't know what it did to, to the community at that point, but it would have done something. That's Bob. Bob's been blamed forever. Now, I added a name because it's more personal that way. I don't know if his name was whoever. It doesn't matter. But that day, people all over the temple would have saw him for the first time in an able, upright position, walking in, in joy. That'll preach. <laughs> and he's standing right with Peter and John, and then all of a sudden, Peter lets loose, and he says, I want to talk to you about the Jesus that healed this man. It was in his name that I want to talk about. He was the one that was risen from the dead. He's literally the one that you crucified, and he's alive. He's well. And you did it right outside of that building, right outside of this, of this, this wall. That'll get attention. In fact, it says the group swelled to 5,000 men. We're probably at ten to 15,000 people right now. Just in a very short time, the church is exploding in growth based on truth. That's what truth does. It's essential. Aha. Now something's happened, is going to happen, that was the first of this in the church age of which we're part of. It was called persecution. Out of the box somewhere, someone's not happy that people are being healed, that people are finding Jesus Christ, that the truth is being revealed. And that pretty much would point all the way back to guess who? Satan. He rises up within the church leaders. That's really weird, isn't it? What do you mean church leaders? Well, they certainly weren't following after God. They'd kill their Messiah, right? That's who they're following. Here comes the persecution. Ultimately, I'm, I'm, am I taking too much time to review? It's just fun to watch this whole book just transform. I'll, I'll move quickly. I've got to keep moving because we have stuff to cover today. And at any rate, so they go through their thing and they try chastising these and told them, don't speak in that man's name. They couldn't even say the word Jesus. It bothered them so badly. And, of course, they said, oh, Absolutely, we'll stop that. We're, we're not ever going to say anything about him again. We get what you're saying. We want to be woke. We don't want to talk about anything that would make you upset. 
Oh, they didn't use that word, but it's the same thing. Isn't it amazing? It's amazing how the times, and you have different words, but it's the same thing. Don't mess with anybody with truth. And what did they say? Well, let's see. God told us to say this. Should we follow him? Which is really important. Or should we just follow you? You tell us. Of course, they didn't. They didn't know what to say. So what did they do? They went out, keep preaching the word. And then something happened next is Satan tried to work inside the church. That couple was Ananias and Sapphira. They literally were going to experience living a lie. They were going to lie to the Holy Spirit. They were going to sell a piece of property. Nothing wrong with that. Didn't do anything wrong. They were going to bring proceeds in regards to that so the whole church through the apostles could needs be met. Nothing wrong with that. The problem was, as they said, they brought all of the proceeds from the land sale. And all of it was right there so that they could get their name on the wall and who knows what else. Hold a position. So who knows? And God said, I'm not going to have any of that. We're not going to have that happen here. Because that would be the wrong start. That would totally annihilate what we're doing. We went back. How many of you that were here last week, did you go home and read Joshua chapter 7 and explore all of that about Achan? Aha, I see a lot of smiles, not a lot of hands rising up, but that's okay. I'll just tell you again, that's a wonderful story that really speaks to the beginning of a dispensation and age, if you will. They were just going into the promised land. Achan was that very same look of Ananias. He had tried to deceive, to go up his own way. That's a great understanding of what Ananias and Sapphira. So, Judge, I'm sorry, Joshua chapter 7 is still on your homework list. For those of you who didn't partake. Okay. <laughs> Which apparently is all of you. But anyway, <laughs> not, not saying any names or anything. It just seems that way. But at any rate, so let's keep moving. Now, where we started today in verse 12 was we were the aftermath of that. We have two believers that lied to the Holy Spirit that got. And again, I'm not here to be their judge. I'm not to say anything. But it would seem from the previous understanding of the scriptures that they were believers. That they chose to grieve, to quench the Holy Spirit, literally, and to lie to him. God did not allow that to happen. They're gone. Okay. That would have got somebody's attention. Did you did you know what happened to Ananias and Sapphira? Right? That, that's that's going through the group, right? And yet, remember on the oh, we got different stuff on the board now, don't we? This was from another session with somewhere else. But let's uh you remember we had on the board last week we had spirit filled. And we had self-filled. One side of the board was spirit and one was self. I'm not going to reconstruct that. There's something about the church that was spirit-filled, right? That's the key to all of this is the spirit. The Holy Spirit was filling these believers, which literally was taking the world by force. You want to change your world today? Stay filled with the spirit. Now, you don't have to find him. Well, you might have to cut through some clutter within your own life, but he's there. It's not a matter of how much you've him you have. It's how much of you he has. That's, the, that's sanctification, isn't it? It's working through that day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute. And the Holy Spirit, when you yield to him, when you don't quench the Spirit, there's something takes place within you that is spreading through the entire world. Especially a church. When you have a Spirit-filled church, that's made up of individuals that are Spirit-filled. Things that are mighty can happen. Well, Let's read that in verse 12, what took place is after that. It says that by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. They seem to be hanging out a lot here. Now, this does not do justice to the size and scale of that area. That could hold thousands of people in this, uh, the court of the Gentiles. Now, you could, anyone could meet there. That would be a place that the church, quote, the church could literally gather 
and they're, they're, they're legal to be there. Now, the, the, it's kind of like in enemy territory because the, the pre- chief priest would want nothing to do with that message. That's what makes them so angry is this is like a place of revival right here. You know what's in here? Nothing's going on that's anything of any value because guess what happened when Jesus died? That veil was split. You can look right in the Holy of Holies. No longer was there a high priest needed. I'm sure they probably patched it up. We've had some discussions about it in various places, but imagine the thing that you're the, that's the most, this most sacred, this two-foot thick veil that's from top to bottom. When Jesus died, he said, it is finished. He supplied everything that anyone needed to come to God. He is the Passover lamb. That veil was split wide open. How would have you liked to have been a priest in that place on that day watching that happen? Oh, my goodness. Because the high priest couldn't even go in there unless he had, was properly prepared. They tied a rope around his leg, his foot, and a bell he was wearing. When the bell stopped dinging, and they pulled on the rope a little bit, and he didn't respond, if you will, he pulled him out. Why? Because no one else could go in there either. That's the sacredness of the Holy of Holies. I can't even resonate to you the holiness of God behind that veil. And you know what? That was split wide open because Jesus Christ paid for the sin of the entire world. Remember what John the Baptist said? Behold the Son of God, the Lamb of God, right? The Lamb of God that comes to take away all the sins of the world. That was one of the most profound statements ever stated by John the Baptist, who's the forerunner, when he saw Jesus come. That same Jesus is the one that basically made everything inside the most holy of holies, become available to everyone. What magnificent things are taking place. As they're doing their thing and they're trying to sugarcoat what's not necessary, we're having a revival of God's people here right on Solomon's porch, the last remaining part of, of Solomon's temple. Now, it says that the apostles were doing signs and wonders. I don't know what those all were, but we've seen certainly a healing of a man. In fact, you find that the, the, the text is very robust. They felt so much of the miracles that these apostles were dealing in that they literally would bring all of their sick or their vexed with spirits, anything, to just pass in the shadow of these guys. Think of that. Now, it wasn't their shadow that, that fixed anything. It's still, it's Jesus Christ. But what's the significance of these healings or these wonders or these signs? It's validation. Keep in mind now, again, I, I keep pointing to this because it's rarely stated clearly in, here, in the Bible because it's everyone that would have read it would have known about the context. But just outside of these walls, not very far, two months before, Jesus was hanging on a cross. And this is the whole message that these guys, these, these apostles are bringing. It's that guy that was dead out there. That's who we want to raise up. You have to have validation. How much of the New Testament they have right then? Zero. You've got a group of people that are leading religiously that the Sadducees will find them rise up in a moment. They only thought the first five books were valid. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in resurrection. Those, if you've noticed in the passage you read today, that's pretty significant. Guess who popped the two boys out of prison? An angel, right? Who did they talk about? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. You want to make somebody mad, that'll get her done. But what if they couldn't have validated, if they could not have shown that their message was true? They wouldn't have been adhered to. So your question is, well, how about today? Do we need miracles today? No, we don't. The miracle is done within every single heart that accepts Jesus Christ to watch the transformation that's truly there. And we have all of the recorded events and records and miracles and happenings and wonders within the scripture that speaks of Jesus Christ. None, the most impressive one is him rising from the dead. The impressive part of a miracle is the fact that we have God's Word totally in its perfection form. 
we can reveal the truth to everyone. That's what we need. Now, one of the things that's interesting, we'll go back to Deuteronomy 13 for just one second, because sometimes we see as miracles are wonders, or whatever you want to call it, the things that can't be done regularly, aren't done regularly. Oh, by the way, if you get to the end of the book of Acts, guess how many miracles are done in the book of, Reve- in the, book of the rest of the, of the Bible? None. There's none. You get to Revelation, there's some pretty wild stuff takes place. But right now, there's no miracles that are really literally after the book of Acts that take place. Outside of the miracle of someone coming to Jesus Christ. To me, you know, it's hard for us as Christians. If you're a Christian here today and you hear the gospel reported and relayed through the scriptures, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Okay? For people that don't know Christ to not see that, that seems re- it seems really hard for us not to see that. No, no, it's, it's weird that they see it. The truth is hidden from them because man's ways are not God's ways. The miracle is when the Holy Spirit gets into that heart, into that life. That's what we pray for that person through the power of the Holy Spirit, that they would see the truth for what it is. You just look around the world today. How many people are just confronted with truth and they can't get it? You see it all the time, don't you? It's crazy. Literally, that's a miracle in itself. Jesus, I'm sorry, the Holy Spirit is the one that brings miracles in people's lives to see the truth for what it is. That's the miracle. We proclaim the truth. It's the Holy Spirit that makes the, resonant, makes the truth resonant within that person's life. They make a decision. Do I trust the truth? Do I go for the truth? Or do I not? Do I reject it? But the work is God's. Now, do we have miracles today? Well, I'm not saying God is any different than he was. Can he do miracles? Absolutely. How many apostles? I'm talking about foundational apostle apostles, these 12. And you remember that it was 12 minus 1. Judas is gone. He's replaced with Matthias. And then Paul was made an apostle by Jesus Christ, literally on the road to Damascus. Okay? So those are the apostles, declared apostles, and they had to be in the presence of Jesus Christ. How many apostles are there here today in the world? That's a zero. It's a big zero. When someone says that they're an apostle, um, I want them to define that. What do you mean? An apostle like it is given in the book of Acts or that way? If you do mean that, then you're, 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 you're falsifying that. That's not what an apostle is. Now, the apostles, did you notice this also? It wasn't the church doing miracles. It was the apostles doing miracles to prove that their doctrine, their theology was right. Now, I want to take you back to Deuteronomy 13 for something that's important. I think it's important that you see this. If you were a prophet in the Old Testament, what was the requirements? That you do miracles? Not necessarily. You could do miracles, and in fact, God used prophets to do many miracles. What was important for you to be a true prophet of God was that you speak God's truth, and you're never wrong. And it happened. That's correct. Okay. I want to show you something in Deuteronomy chapter 13. Let's go there. That this is interesting. The same words we find in the sense of wonders. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 13. We won't spend much time here. But it's interesting how important that the word is, just as it is today, the word of God is more important than any miracles that would take place. Deuteronomy 13. Uh, Verse 1, we'll just start here. If there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams and giveth thee a sign or a wonder... And the sign or wonder come to pass. Stop for a moment. You see what that says? This is something that would be supernatural. This would be something that was declared beforehand. This is something that took place that was not normal that no one would have known about. That takes place. And you're saying, poof, that's cool. That's a validation. Let's keep reading. Um, and the sign or wonder come to pass, verse 2, wherever he spake unto thee, saying, Let us go after other gods which thou hast not known, and let us serve them. What's that? That's bad theology. 
That's what that is. That's telling a non-truth, even though, keep this in mind, they've just produced a miracle, if you will. But they got bad doctrine. Guess what they tell them to do with that? You keep reading. You put the prophet to death. What is the validation? Is God's word. What did God really say? What's really important to God? That we follow after truth. When truth is not stated, that's what's on the line for validation. Today, if someone comes to us in this place and says something that is untrue or not doctrinally sound, guess what? Outside, gone, over with. We have no place. We don't have to do a miracle. In fact, even Satan can do weird stuff, can he? He can see as an angel of light. Someone could step through that door and he could go poof. And you think, well, it's some magic, something, whatever. Just say it's real. It really, really would appear to be a miracle, okay? That's not what validates. This is what's super important. What validates is truth. If it's not true, it's of no value. Now, did you see that? We got, a, we got a prophet that declared to be a prophet. He showed a miracle, but he had the wrong message. Put him away. Do you see how important it is? So for us today, do we need a miracle to validate? No, we don't. We have God's word that has validated God's word. When someone comes, we don't go by a miracle. We go by the fact, how does it line up with God's word? What are you saying? See? Big deal. That's a really big deal. So there's five things I think we're going we'll, to, I don't know how far we're going to get, but we're going to start. One of the things, there's, there's five aspects of this church that seem to be developing. Um, and there's a lot of things, a lot of dynamics. But the first one, and we're going to tie off of last week, which is really the first one, is a sense of purity. God was purifying his church. He was literally taking to the fact that we are going to start out the right way. We're not going to have hypocrisy. We're not going to live a lie. We're not going to allow that to happen. That Literally, we're going to have purity. We're going to have holiness. We're going to have a striving for following after Jesus Christ. We're going to have an image of... Our likeness. In fact, let's talk about that. What is the church's purpose? What should be my purpose? What should be your purpose? What should whatever you are doing, whatever we're doing, and we'll say, well, we could go to Colossians, we could say to bring glory to God, right? And that's true. How is glory brought to God? I say, I'm going to take us to another level. How is he glorified? He saved you from your sin. He redeemed you. Jesus bought you out of that. He's filled you. I'm sorry. He indwelt you with the Holy Spirit. What's the purpose of that? So that you have eternal life that is that's free and good. And, you know, if you listen to prosperity gospels, they say, if you trust Jesus, everything will go be awesome. Money, power, wealth. Because he wants you rich. No, he doesn't. If he makes you rich, great. If he, want, if he wants you poor, great. Because that's not the purpose. The purpose is literally to make us look like Jesus Christ. We should be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 8, verse 29. That's the purpose. This church right here, our goals, now it, I've heard this, and maybe I even said it a couple of times. How come you're not coming to church? I just don't get anything out of it, right? Have you heard that? Now, I'm not being critical. I've actually said it. I'm just not getting anything out. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. The church's focus or purpose is not to meet my need. I'm to use my gifts to meet the needs of making others and myself included to look more like Jesus Christ. Do you see the difference? We're all needed. We're all needed. Whether we feel we're being fed. I'm using these words that are popular. This is really, really a big deal. You know why they met daily right here? Because they wanted to look more like the one that was hanging outside that cross because it says they this mind be in you, Paul said, humility. 
the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, temperance, faith. Against such is the law. That's what we're supposed to look like. That's when God's work's getting done. That's when the church is being actively engrossed in the sense of doing what God wants, is we look more like Jesus. That's a good question. I look in the mirror and I say, do I look more like Jesus? I'm not talking physically. See, that's what's really important. It's what's underneath. How do I view things? Do I view it like Jesus says, like he did? Those are good questions, aren't they? That's what the church's purpose is. So, purity was something that God kind of set in motion. The second thing that we see, and you, we've read about it already, and that is the sense of power. Now, it's, it seems more robust for you, potentially. You'd say, man, those guys did miracles. We're not doing any miracles. What are we doing here? What, what do you mean power? What do you mean power? The Holy Spirit that resided in those disciples, the power that foundationally started the church, Yes, it was done in miracles. There were things that you probably haven't seen done or could do. I'm careful how I say this, but it's the same spirit. Once the validation of truth was there, we have nothing more to do than to do exactly what was described for those disciples to do, and that was to proclaim the gospel to the entire world. And that takes power. That takes strength. You know where it comes from? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, you have no power. You, if, if it's just of you, you can only get so far and it will be completely bankrupt. You cannot do it of your own. If your ministry, and I'm saying that you as being a servant in ministry, if it's based upon your own, on your own strength, your power, you will fall flat on your face. It could go for a while, but that's not what's important. Where do you get your strength from? Remember what, Peter, uh, what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He was given a thorn in the flesh. That means it's not going easy. You guys got a thorn in the flesh? Probably many of you do. But for Paul, he saw it as, yes, it was from Satan. It even says that, that Satan would buffet me. He's attacking me. And I prayed that God would release it from me. He would take it away three times, and God said, no. He says, really, honestly, when you're weak, then you're strong because you know where your strength comes from. Oh, that is awesome stuff, isn't it? Take the trials that's happened in your life. Go back 20 years, 30 years, I mean, in some cases, maybe even just in the last year. Things that have come on you and hit you broadside. Now, in the midst of it, it's hard for us to see all of the good of it. But I can name countless opportunities in my own life that it was really, really tough at the time. And I have to look back and say, you know what? God was shaping me to make me look more like Jesus. He's making me a little bit more. He's used tribulation and trial to mature me, to bring me to a new level, a higher height as I'm yielding to Him. That power that's within the Holy Spirit, even as robust as it was there, it is no different for you today. You have in your possession, when you're speaking to someone about Jesus Christ, you have the Word of God that has been validated by historical. And you don't have to prove it's the Bible. It is truth. Whether they accept it or not is up to them. If you want to get an analytical uh, in the sense of, you know, what are the odds of Jesus Christ literally being born in Bethlehem? What are the odds of Him hanging out? All of those things, it's, it's incalculable. It's so, it's so magnificent you can't even do it. If they want to do that, that's great. But you don't have to defend the Word of God because truth doesn't need to be defended. Reality matches it. Don't lose sight of that. Thirdly, you say, man, you're losing at an alarming rate. Guess what happens when you have a pure church that is powerful and the message is definitely validated as it is here? Someone that's spirit-filled. 
I'm talking about individuals. I mean, I'll tell you, there's power that internally is amazing. When you have a spirit-filled individual making a spirit-filled church, things are going to happen. Guess what comes? And you can count on this. We talked about it last week, and that is persecution. You can count on it. It's going to come. Watch for it. So let's watch this develop. The church is active. It's growing. It's probably 20,000, 30,000 people at this point. I'll go back to Acts. I was still in, uh, in Deuteronomy. Let's watch this thing start to flow now. Acts chapter 5. And I mean, you can see the healing. You can see all of this stuff taking place. Now, by the way, um, isn't it a little bit hard to grasp? Even though it's being done here, it's, it's done right inside the temple, and the, the, the who's who of religious activities are, you know, doing their little thing in here, and they're pious, and they've got, and they're doing their lighting, and they're giving, and they're all this stuff. And then they're watching on the corner. Oh, it drives me crazy. They're talking about that Jesus. Ah! And they're doing terrible things like healing people, and they're, right? I mean, did you see anything bad here? That's the really cool thing about the power of the Holy Spirit. Good things happen. Good things happen. They're going to take him out. It says the high priest. This would have been Caiaphas or Annas. Once you're a high priest, you never lose that position. It's like presidents. You, know, you, have, you still have President Clinton, who's no longer president, but he was a president, so he's declared that way. Okay, Don't go any further with that. At any rate, the point is Annas and Caiaphas, which would have been a son-in-law to Annas, either one of those was probably involved here. Annas was the one that ran it from behind the scenes. He was the godfather, if you will, of the priesthood. But they're from the sect of the Sadducees. The Sadducees were in control of the power. They got their power from Rome. They made sure and played politically the games so that Rome gave them power and they were in charge of the religious activities in the temple and all of its commerce and its commercialization. That's where they wanted to be. They really didn't want anything to do with God. They just want to be in charge. And they are ticked off. In fact, it says the word is they were filled with indignation. That would be a word in the Greek that would have to do with jealousy. They are enraged with jealousy because guess what? There's probably not very many people showing up here in comparison to what's happened down here at the corner of Solomon's porch. It's, think of it. Go to, it's like two, two happenings. Now, of course, the main event would have actually been, we know from, from Scripture and Acts later, that this, a lot of the activities were done daily, but the real gathering was on Sunday. Okay? So the Jews would have been meeting at their point on Saturday because that's the Sabbath. That's where they were doing. And these guys were meeting every day. It says daily, but the, the point of worship was Sunday at this point, going on in Acts because of Jesus Christ rising from the dead. But just think of the, the, the jealousy that must have been. I mean, it's, it's like the groups are changing. This one is growing. The one is about Jesus, and the other one is shrinking. They're kind of taking from that, if you will. They're mad. They are, re, they are seeing red. They are ticked off like you can't believe. And they're going to put this light out. They're going to finish this off once and for all. So they go and round up the apostles, these two guys. Maybe it was even more. I think it could have been more. But for certainly, Peter and John were the ones that were actively involved. Now, this is where I'm going to employ my illustration. Now, I want to give already a disclaimer. I did not try this at home. On the package, and in past, is what I thought of this morning. And that's what I'm, so we're visiting. Do we have any here? So Lisa must have found some at the store. But I'm going to tell you what it should do, and if it doesn't work that way, I'm sorry. <laughs> Have you ever went to a birthday gathering, maybe for yourself, and they put up candles on your cake? Right? And it used to be that it was, if you weren't too old, that literally they would maybe put the number of candles that you were old, right? Right? Now, for this, I'm just going to use 
the two apostles, they've been really pronounced and prominent within this, this passage of growing this church, Peter and John. So their lights are on. Are you not? I mean, right? If you're around those guys, you can tell they're, they're healing people. They're, you know, those that are vexed with demons. It's, it's the, the lights are on. I can't even light the match. So I don't know if I should tell you. No, I won't tell you yet. So if you think about it, and they're on fire. They're literally, they, their lights are bright. One's brighter than the other. I don't know what that's about, but at any rate, what, is, what are the Sadducees and the high priests, what are they going to try to do to these two lights? They're going to put them out. We're going we're to make them go away because if we can make them go away, we don't have to put up with this nonsense talking about this man. They couldn't even say Jesus' name. It was so pathetic to them. Ah, don't say that. And so how are they going to do it? Well, we know, first of all, what they did is they took him and put him in prison. They gathered up and said, we've got to stop this nonsense. Now, again, I said the Sadducees they didn't believe in angels, okay? And they didn't believe in the resurrection. So they certainly thought Jesus Christ was just a, such a joke. So they put him in prison. Now, it says in the scripture, we read it, that in the middle of the night, here comes an angel. An angel is a messenger of God. He does, he does things that God wants him to do in the life of, in this case, Peter and John. Now, it's really weird because you find out after the fact, it says that he opened the gates. He opened the prison and the two go out. And you know what? What would you do? He was, okay, guys, listen, 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 listen to Paul. I want you now, I've broken you out of here. Run for the hills. Hide like you've never hidden before. In fact, if you open the prison gates, I'll probably any prison anywhere in the United States and said, you're free. What would you do? You would hide, right? But that is not what the angel told these two men. What did he tell them? Let's read it. Let's read out your Bibles. I mean, this is great. Isn't this fantastic? You know, you know stop preaching. Uh, run away. No, he says, go, stand, and speak in the temple. That's back here. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, to the people, all the words of this life. Just keep doing what you did to get here. Hmm. <laughs> How's that going to work out? Not very good, right? <laughs> so, now the funny part of all of this to me is this. There's a miracle in here somewhere because literally the next morning, these guys are thinking, you know what? They're going to really be on their edge now. We put them in prison, and they've done that before. Remember that? Chapter 4. This time they put them in there, and they say, okay, we're back at the Sanhedrin. Meanwhile, back at the Sanhedrin, they said, go bring those two guys and bring them. Put them right in the midst. We want to talk to them. So, dun 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 They go down to the jail, and the guys are outside guarding. You know, you can just see them. You know, they get your... So, those guys move aside. The doors are locked, it says. They, uh, there's nobody in here. What do you guys know about that? We're just doing our job. <laughs> nobody home. Nobody there. So they go report this back to the chief priest, right? This doesn't sound good. See, the first thing they would have thought is, what? They're going to go hide. They're gone. Now, now we're going to have to go find these guys. No, no. Pretty soon somebody wobbles in and says, you won't believe this, but the guys that you got locked up last night, they're preaching in the temple again. <laughs> They're still at it. Oh, my goodness, right? So they, so they bring them in, and they say, did not we tell you to stop? We want you to stop. We want you to stop doing that. And this is where I don't know if it's going to work, because these are the candles that are supposed to be like at 
with your birthday party when you blew them all out and they came back to life. Now, this told me on the box that these were those. <laughs> I haven't given up, but it doesn't look good. Okay. So that's why I, told you, I would tell you what it's supposed to do. But literally, if these candles were as advertised, that's what I wanted you to see. Praise God. That one's struggling. He's struggling. But I haven't given up. Because I actually said on the package, immerse in water for five minutes before putting in garbage. So I'm still hopeful. He's trying. <laughs> this one's got the Holy Spirit. <laughs> this one, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But, but literally, though, it's, that's, that's what keeps us going. In fact, the fourth one is not only persecution. This is one that's in the Christian life that's part of it. If, you're, if you've trusted Christ sincerely and the Holy Spirit lives within you, which he does, you will always continue to be persevering or persistent. Persistent. It says, those that continue on, those that keep going. It's a little bit discouraging, isn't it? <laughs> I got one out of two. But, but, the, but the message is still that. Because you know what? Every time they tried to extinguish those guys, couldn't do it. They were persistent. They came right back teaching to the people. Then they brought them in, and they're all over them. You guys need to obey us. And they said, we would rather obey God. Than you because Jesus Christ literally we're going to take this little boy right out of it we're going to, we're going to take this one over here because he's messing up with my message right this one's doing great I just got to make sure and finish the message before it burns down the, the place right I'll keep moving I'll keep moving okay so they're trying to put the candle up no they're trying to extinguish the message right extinguish the message extinguish they said no way it'll never happen in fact they brought a game against this is the second time they've witnessed to this group of the Sanhedrin in the place that they brought them and they said you kill Jesus. He's the answer. Every time they tried to suppress, they couldn't do it. The persistence continued to just bring them right back. I'm really counting on it now, all right? You can tell them to it. If it does it one more time, that's all I need. That's all I need. Because that's, a, yeah, it's, you know what? And you know what? That's, that's really a good word. When we're persecuted, the Holy Spirit is still right there. And he's still the flame. He's still the fire. He's still the force behind it that literally brings us back and allows us to be consistent. That message got stronger. The more they persevered, the more they struggled, the more they tried to. And apparently there is an end to this persistence on this particular candle. But I think it served the purpose today because that's exactly what a Christian should be. Now, sin is what keeps us from being filled with the Holy Spirit, literally. When you sin, you have taken charge. Remember this, we had self-filled and we have spirit-filled. When we're self-filled, we are going ahead headstrong and we have lost sight of what God is really wanting to do. That's when we're in a dangerous position. That's when sin occurs. Now, what happens when you sin without confessing it is you are literally away from God's will. The best thing we can do is says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, is the fact to confess our sin and he is faithful to forgive us. This is talking to believers. This isn't talking about salvation. Literally puts us back in union. You know what? Our, our flame starts up again. And that's what God wants. Because when our fire goes, you know what they were looking like? They were looking a lot like Jesus Christ, weren't they? Which is perfect. It's just what you want. Persistence. How's your persistence level? Well, I know in my case, it's often driven by the trials. You can be overwhelmed by them, can't they? That's what these guys were hoping. The sad Sanhedrin were hoping if we make it tough enough, if we make it nasty enough, those guys are going to excuse me, give up. 
They've had enough of this whole thing. They're not going to do this anymore. Boy, did they get that wrong. Did you notice the more pressure they put on, the more the message was persistent. It was, they just continued to proclaim it, proclaim it, proclaim it, proclaim it. In fact, they got two messages within a very short time in the Sanhedrin. Oh, I'm telling you. But then, okay, now here's the part. This is the part, because at this point, if we're persistent and, and persecution, you can watch it, you can see it come. We've got the power of the Holy Spirit, and purification takes place in an individual as well. Now, God purified a church. He was going to make an example. What he did is literally in the church's position to discipline within its own membership, membership being those that are in Jesus Christ. If there's, if there's a brother sinning, it's our responsibility as a church member or other church folks that are believers, that's what makes a church, is to go to that person and bring them back, Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. That's very, very important. But all of this, there's something else that happens at the end. And this is the power, this is the majesty of literally the Holy Spirit. And I, w I don't have another P, but that is trust God with the results. I want to show you how this didn't look good. Trust God with results. I, I can't do two things at once. You probably noticed that. In fact, writing, I can't even do that well by itself. But at any rate... What do I mean by all of that? So far, what's, what's went on? Man, the church has been purified. They're continuing adding, multiplying. Power of the Holy Spirit is really evident. Persecution comes, and they guys were persistent right in the face of death, right? They were right there. And now, let's look at how serious this is. This isn't a joke anymore. Verse, verse 28. Did we not straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Two things, you're indoctrinating and you're making us responsible for this man's death. How could you do that? Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you slew and hanged on a tree. Right back at it, same message. Him that hath, him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses of these things, and so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. When they trust Christ, when they heard that, they were cut to the heart and took counsel to repent. What does it say? They're going to kill him. Yeah, they're going to kill him. What do I do with my matches? I'm going to try this one more time. I've got a little candle left. This is just for me now. It's not for you. <laughs> um, what does it sound like now? Going back to uh, the disciples. Put their shoes on for a second. Okay. Think about it for a moment. What have they done wrong? Not a thing. And they have brought the game. They didn't run away. You know what I mean? <laughs> you would have to say, get out of that. You get out of jail, and it's like, ah, boy, I'd just like to go back to Galilee and go fishing. I'd like to just go fishing, right? But no, the angel said something, and they obeyed, right? That's, 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 they were being filled with the Spirit right there. They chose to do what the angel had said to do, which they're filled again with the Holy Spirit. They go into the temple, and they start speaking. They give the message, more persistent than ever. In fact, I'm sure it was stronger, because why? Think of it. Do you think these people that were at the temple... They were there when they grabbed him and put him in jail, right? Now they're back preaching the same message again. Whoa, that adds some credence, some leverage, doesn't it? And then they appear before the Sanhedrin again. And they're squashing it. In fact, they're mad enough now. If you, if you, were, if you were the one of the apostles standing in the Sanhedrin, it wouldn't have taken a lot of bright lights to know, you know, I think they really are yearning to kill us. I mean, they're the, they, we made them that mad. 
But what did they do? They trusted God in the results. What's God going to do now? <laughs> Have you ever had a, a little bit of, you've had a, no money left and you've got a lot of month left? That's happened, hasn't it? What's God going to do? You've done everything you could do. You've prayed. You've done everything you can do. Where's God going to be? And the first thing we want to say is God's late. No, God's always on time, just the right time. You are usually not in the right position to receive what he has for you. Now, these disciples are standing there saying, what is going to happen now? I think our lights are out. I can't even put it out. Oh, I did. Do you know what? It wouldn't go out. Because God had a plan. He brings a guy from the Sanhedrin. Now think of this. There's a guy in the Sanhedrin, a guy by the name of Gamaliel. Now I could go in and shake you, take you to Acts chapter 22, verse 3. There's a guy that, he, that was a student of his, this Gamaliel. He was a rabbi that was amazing in the sense of how his, his sense of recognition. Now, did you notice it wasn't a Sadducee, it was a Pharisee. What's the difference? It was like this. If you had a Pharisee and a Sadducee, it's like a Democrat and Republican all the time. Bang, 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 bang. So why would they listen to him? He was one that deserved recognition. He was one that deserved an attention. So he comes up and he steps up in front and he says this. I'm kind of disappointed as well. I thought it would come back. But it was tough going out, but you get it, this candle thing. I'm done with it because it served its purpose, right? It did. Because you know what? The Holy Spirit is absolutely never leaves you, ever. Back to the story. She looks a little rough right now. And all of a sudden, out of the midst of this group, pops this guy up. Hey, hold on, guys. Hold on. Hold, hold, hold. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa, whoa. Stop. Now, for you to remember when we told the story, when they're speaking and preaching again in the same place after they were supposed to be in jail, did they go and rough and tough them? And no. In fact, let's read that verse. Let's read that verse. Then went the captain, this is verse 26, then went the captain with the officers, brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should have been stoned. Now, these are the authorities. Why would they be stoned? Uh, what were they doing? What were they doing? What were they doing? They were healing people. In fact, there's families that probably took people that had been bedridden for, for who knows, their entire life. And these guys, they go to the disciples and boom, they're new, they're healed. They're, and, and that's the one they want to put in jail. Does that sound like the United States for a moment? Justice is no longer with us. That's what's happening, and it happened there. Now, think of that. They literally thought if they would have taken the wrong approach, been rough and tough with them, they'd have been stoned. These disciples are held in highest esteem among the people. But they're about to be, in fact, I want to say this. That Sanhedrin literally could have taken them out. They could have taken them and just slain them. They had the power to do it. And at that point, I wondered if they didn't think that maybe we're at the end. This is just the end. But this Gamaliel pops up. Do you know who his student was? One that's the most notorious in the rest of the scriptures was Paul. Paul. What? This guy taught Paul? Yeah, and he taught Paul to be vengeful, to be executionary. He was the one that, how would you like to be? Think of Paul for a moment. Just, I'm, I'm moving ahead for a moment because this is the opposite side of, of zealous. You would have to say these two guys, Peter and John, were zealous. Were they not? They were persistent. I'm going to tell you another man by the name of Saul, Old New Testament. Saul was extremely zealous, extremely persistent. This is what he did. He got up in the morning, ate his Wheaties, hit the trail, and went to kill Christians. He ran at 8 to 5. In fact, I'm not sure he didn't start at 5 and work till 8. His whole thing was to kill Christians. Whew. Whoa. And that Gamaliel is his teacher. 
This is the guy that gets up and says, I think we need to be careful. We need to be very careful. You make an example of these, I think you've got a real revolution on your hands. Now, that would say volumes to the Sadducees. What did I tell you about the Sadducees? They had the power. The Pharisees had the people. The Pharisees had the people. The Sadducees had the power. The last thing that the Sadducees would want would be a revolt. Because if there's a revolt, guess who loses power? The Sadducees. It's a big deal. This is political hypocrisy at its highest level under the guise of, of religion. Religion was a way for them to make money. It had nothing to do with God. I mean, study it. The commercialization that Jesus went and cleansed the temple, it's all about commercialization. But he says, you know, you need to be careful. And he, he makes some really wrong decisions for what would be perceived as a wise guy. First of all, he said this. He says, I'm going to give you two examples of people that their whole thing fell apart. What's he saying? What is he saying? Jesus and the disciples are on the same plane as them. Missed that by a mile. Now, these are two individuals that took off for a short period of time. It would have been like if my cams would work perfectly, which it does say in the box, too, by the way. Results vary. <laughs> I would say it varied. Okay? However, these two guys took off on the little thing, and they had a bright light, and they went away. They were done. They were gone. It was over. And that's what he's saying. He said, that's more than likely what's going to happen to Jesus' disciples. There's just going to be this little flash flare, and it's done. And if you guys kill them, you're going to actually make it worse. It's called that martyr syndrome, right? You've seen it. Hmm, oh, that's making some sense. And then the other one was, in other words, take the flip side of that. This is an error as much as anything. In other words, success means it's God's way. Did you see that? In fact, they failed, so there was no way that God was going was to get that way. He's saying, since they failed, they weren't of God. He's suggesting the same thing of Jesus and his disciples. No, it doesn't work that way. I'll give you a key point of that. Okay, you're in the, you're in the children of Israel, and you're, you're gathered, and it's on the edge of the promised land. This is what God has promised you and your people. And you send out 12 spies. And they go, and they come back. And they said, man, you can't believe how good it is there. It is like, whew, it is fantastic. You've seen the pictures of little kids. You've know, you got, you got two guys who couldn't even take a, you know, a clump of grapes right between them. It's, it's amazing, right? So, but he said, we can't get it done. They're too big. We're like grasshoppers. They're like, we'll lose. We haven't got a chance. Now, what would that picture look like? Where were their eyes? Yeah, and, and their problems, right? Massive problems. See, and that's problems get big, God gets small. Now, there's two of those. Now, the vote was 10 to 2. Well, that means that success would have been not to go, not to do that. No, the people said, yeah, democracy, 10 to 2. That's obvious. It wasn't close. It wasn't like 6 to 4. It was 10 to 2. I'm, I can't even, sorry with that. 6 to 6 is what I meant to say. You, you're not good at math, are you? <laughs> Apparently not right now. So 6 and 6, a tie. In other words, I don't know what we're going to do now. But we have to have a tiebreaker. No, no, truth isn't like that. It was 10 to 2, and they got it wrong. The two that came back and said, yeah, that, what they said is true. But for, don't forget this. God is on our side. Remember the power part? The disciples? That's why they could fear not persecution. Persistent. God's got it. If you're struggling, if you're being persecuted, now it's a different level of persecution in the United States currently. You know, the Facebooking, the social, all of that social media stuff, you know, it can, it can attack. The bullying, the cyberbullying, all of that. Those are real things, by the way. They're real things. 
But where's the truth? That, that's, that, where's the truth? The truth is what matters. Now, again, never lose sight of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. It's not just truth at any attitude. It's speaking the truth in love. That's, our, that's really not only our, that's the way truth needs to be said. It's not in your face and just be nasty about truth because even though it's truth, no, 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 stop. In fact, let's read that passage of Scripture. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4 because there's some things here that actually tie into the church. Ephesians chapter 4, let's go there for a moment. Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll start in verse 11. This is spiritual gifts. He gave some apostles... Aha, uh-huh. that was the beginning, foundational. Some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Why? For the perfecting or edification of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, to build up till we all come in the unity of faith and of the knowledge of who? The Son of God. Unto a perfect man, a mature man, unto the measure of the stature, what? Of the fullness of Christ. Do you not see it? That's what we're supposed to look like, just like Jesus Christ, the fullness of Him. That we hit, Why? that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitteth to join together and compacted by that, which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, making increase of the body and the edifying of itself in love. That is truly in five verses telling you exactly what the church's mission is to do right there. What's in the middle of that? Speaking the truth in love. That's one of the things I always want to do. If I, uh, and it's amazing. Some of the airplanes, and I don't do as much travel as I used to, but being in an airplane and you're, you're, your seats are chosen. Mm-hmm. That's sort of the providence of God. We could use that as trust God with the results. Providence. In Esther, that's a book that God's name is never mentioned, and yet you see him in every aspect of that entire book and, it's re- and, and how it reaches out. But in an airplane, you're assigned seats. Now, you can get on and you can choose your seat, you know, if you're getting a ticket, right? You know, I don't do that, but my daughters do that for me. And, and you know, I'm in C3 or whatever it is, right? Well, C4 is not one I picked. Someone else picked that, okay? So that person that's sitting on either side of me is there because God put them there, right? And it was amazing how many people I would sit beside that somehow the conversation would go. And there were those that, you know, I'm not saying every single time. And in fact, when I would, I would go on a plane, still do it today. I get on a plane, I say, God, give me the words for the person beside me. And some of those, there was no words because they were asleep. <laughs> or it was pretty obvious they didn't want to be bothered. You, you got the look, right? And I'm respectful, right? And that's the way it should be. Wouldn't do me any, would it do me any good to just bound? No, of course not. It's not ready. It's not the time. It's, and I'm good with that. God, give me the words. But it's countless times. Well, count, you could count them. I'm not, that, but it was a lot of times, let's say it that way, that I'm sitting beside a person that was severely hurting somewhere in their life. It was a personal problem or whatever it was. I remember one young lady, she was going through a divorce. And I was actually, when we got off of the plane, I had prayed with her for her situation. And she wanted me to get her a Bible. I asked her. And I remember, I've still got a letter up here that she wrote back after receiving the Bible. See, that's, that's God working in lives and hearts. Now, what he does with her life, what he does with her heart or soul, that's a Holy Spirit miracle. As she, but my job is to do what the apostles, to be persistent in the sense of proclama- proclaiming the truth. How? In love. That's our job. If you're a Christian, every one of us is involved in it. 
Trust God with results. So Gamaliel, back to him, he's laid this whole thing out. And he's actually kind of a wimp. He's a religious politician is what he is. He sees trouble no matter which angle you go from here. If you're going to make an example of these, you better get ready to pay a price. You guys are going to lose power. We could be in serious, even physical malady ourselves. Let it play out. And by the way, he says something spiritual like, and if God's behind it, you're not going to stop that anyway. That's good. That's good. That's right. You, you, God's not going to, you're, you're going to get run over. But it was almost a sense of procrastination, wasn't it? Have you been somewhere where, I remember on a deathbed of a man, and he was still able to speak, and I asked, I said, I've never lied to you. I've not, I knew him for a lot of years. I said, I've never lied to you. But I have to tell you about what's very, very important for you where you're at right now. I need to ask you, do you know Jesus Christ personally as your Lord and Savior? Because it's essentially necessary that you make that decision for Christ. And you can do it right here. You can do it in the quietness of your mind. And I shared a few points about the gospel, that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He's the only way you could be released and re removed, the sin removed from you. But you have to make the choice. In, in, it's, it's a your decision between God. And he still, at the very end, said, I said, would you like to make a decision for Christ? And he said, I don't know. Now, that was a no. That's what that meant. This is really what Gamaliel is doing. He's been receiving the gospel of Jesus Christ from the mouth of those two disciples, just like the rest of the Sanhedrin. And what he was still more worried about than anything else is how he looked in public. He just punted the ball away. Let's get it. Let's just let it out of here. He took a let's, let's wait approach. That is one of the most dangerous things that's going to happen to anyone. Well, not now. You heard that one? Well, I'm in, but not now. I've got life to live. I got. No, don't do that. Now, I have no idea where Gamaliel is, but he heard the gospel on that day, clear as clear as could be, and he chose not to adhere to it, not to take it, not even to deal with it in any way in that day. Dangerous position. But what had happened? Guess what? The ministry that God had started in these apostles, He used one of the enemy to literally allow it to continue, and the persistence. Right? They didn't stop. In fact, they got more fired up. I think we're in a very close position, men and women, in the United States of America, where the question will be, would we rather obey God than men? Our laws are quickly moving to fact that it's going to be illegal for me to speak of the word of truth in its clearest form. Now, we'll be asked to water it down. That reminds me of the church of Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3. Remember that? That was the lukewarm church. They didn't stand for anything. They weren't cold. They weren't hot. They took no position. They were very woke. That would be the term that we'd use today, right? Isn't that dangerous? Mm -hmm. I'll tell you how dangerous it is. God said, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. This is the church. In fact, Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, we use it as a salvation verse. It says that Jesus Christ is standing on the outside knocking. That's the church. He's not even inside. That's how watered down that message had got. So where, where, are, where, where are you at in all of this? Are you working towards purity in your life? Are you using the power of the Holy Spirit? Are you yielding to the Spirit? If you are, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, well, let's, let's go there for a moment. I mean, it's not like a surprise. Persecution will come. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12. I've got to find my glasses. We'll bring it to a close. Second Peter, Second Timothy, I'm sorry. Second Timothy, chapter 3 and verse 12. 
want you to see it in your Bibles. Yes, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. If you do these two things, you pursue purity through the power of the Holy Spirit, persecution will come. But the really cool part is if you have the Holy Spirit living within you, persistence will continue. They cannot keep you down. This is the interesting part. The more pressure that Satan would put on the church, the more profound the message became. James chapter 1, I've taken you there. It says, to the scattered tribes across literally the entire region. How did they get there? Persecution. The message, when, when Satan tries to squash it, it goes further. It must be so frustrating for him. Thank you, God, to frustrate Satan. The more he would press, the further the truth would go. The more he would try to lock them up, the further the truth would go. Isn't that perfect? It's wonderful. And trust God with the results. Because you're his. No matter what. Now, if they would have, and ultimately those two men lost their lives, Peter and John. John was actually, before he ended his career, he actually wrote a book that hasn't even come to pass yet in its fullest form. That's the book of Revelation. That will be used like you can't believe in the period of the tribulation. God let him do that before he took him home. Peter, tradition, I can't prove this, but tradition has it that he literally was taken to a cross to be crucified. He said, I'm not worthy to be crucified the same as my Savior. He was crucified upside down. Nonetheless, was he persistent? To the very end. That's my message for you today. When we're striving for purity, when we're using the strength of the power of the Holy Spirit, our lives, no doubt there will be opposition. He's given us the armor of God, Ephesians chapter 6. We didn't talk about that today. But the persistence that literally calls those other people in from the outside. This is different. See, this is when you, when you put enough persecution on non-truth, persistence goes away. That's what the enemy always counts on. If I, can, if I can put enough pressure on, they'll go away from it. They'll stop. They'll stop preaching. No, not the disciples. Not you. Your lives need to continue to be full and robust, not extinguished by the presence of the darkness. I'll tell you what, we serve a powerful, powerful God. For him to do what he did with this group of people, commercial fishermen that are leading the way, but they're, infilled with, they're being filled with the Holy Spirit, that, my friends, is power. Let's pray. Father God, what a gracious and loving and powerful God you are. We thank you for what you're doing in every way. Thank you for the gospel. Jesus Christ, he was dead He was buried. He rose again according to the scriptures. Father, I would ask that you would give this group of people here today the courage to obey you. That's literally what a Christian is, is yielding to the Holy Spirit, trusting their future with you. Father, give them strength. There's many outside of the folds of Christianity that do not know Jesus' name even. May our lives be reflective of that. As we've sung, how great thou art, Father, when we allow Jesus to be shown through the light of the Holy Spirit within us. Father, it shows you how great you are. Give us what we need to be more like Jesus Christ. That may be a trial. That may be a sense of exhortation from a friend. It may be the lifting up of another friend helping us on our journey. May we be that person as well, Father, in others' lives. 
Speak to us and use us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the beginning of the church, allowing it to be historical facts that you've, you've preserved over the years for us to look at and to see. Thank you, Father, for what you're doing. We give you glory and praise, for you alone are worthy of it. Make us like Jesus. And in his name we pray. Amen.